You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Well, I'm so excited about today. I love Sundays, my favorite day of the week. I wake up, you know, uh, I mean, this, this is the truth. I mean this. I, there's a lot of great things about life. And this week, it was a great week. I mean, what a great opportunity to have the best meal of the year, right? I mean, Thanksgiving meal, it's awesome. And I love food, and I can't wait to eat often. I love to eat. Uh, I love sports, love a good football game, uh, love those kind of events. But I'll tell you, there is nothing that captures my heart and spirit more than a Sunday morning service with God's people. I'm serious. I, I mean, this is the highlight of my week. Not just because I'm here, but just what I experienced a moment ago. Not, not just the, the pulpit, the, the whole experience of being together in God's house. I need it, I long for it, and I love it. Thank you for being here with us. If you're a guest, on the screen there's a QR code, and in your bulletin there's a QR code. If you'll take your phone, we'd love you to do this. And this is a real privilege for us. It really is to, to be able to communicate a little bit with those that are visiting with us. So if you take your camera app, put it over the, the QR code, then we'll, there'll be a drop-down on your phone that you can just take a moment to fill out. And you can even do that right now here in the introductory moments of our service. And we'll get that and be able to communicate with you about what God's doing here. There's a lot of opportunity here at Gospel Light for your family. And also make sure to, if you've not yet received our gift, which is a great resource of help to know more about our church. If you have not received that yet, make sure to get that in the atrium at the welcome desk. That would be our privilege and our honor to just to give you something to leave with uh, to be a blessing to you. And thank you for coming today. We're so blessed. What an amazing Thursday, Thanksgiving Day feast here at Gospel Life. Absolutely no words. I am just so grateful for what happened on Thursday. It all started a couple of weeks ago. Really, it's not something we try to over-organize. And we just kind of let God work and move and whoever. So we don't have sign-up sheets. We just pray that it'll all come together. And it always does. Now, for 28 consecutive years on Thanksgiving morning, uh, again, two weeks ago, all the turkeys and pies were given by you. And we have another church in town that sends us a, a nice size check to cover all of the extras and the vegetables and plates and things. And then you just show up. Troy Brassel, I, I was able to thank him in the first service. I gave him, just so you'll know, a gift card to take his wife out. Uh, to, to a steakhouse just to enjoy some time together because that man has put in uh, 50 hours this week, I'm sure, at least. I, I can't imagine the level of sacrifice that he gave this week. Troy Brassel, our, our friend, our deacon, uh, servant of the Lord. So many MVPs, but I would say he would be my MVP. I, I just love that guy, and I know that this event would not be possible with not having a leader and someone that is there in his place. But everybody else that showed up to make a delivery to, sign, to, 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 to bring turkey, or you cooked the turkey, you brought it. I know we cooked about 20 turkeys or more in the kitchen, and there was a lot of, you know, slicing and dicing the turkey, however you call it, you know, all the things that were done. And then over 1,500 people served on Thanksgiving Day. And the church, when you think about that, when you think about all that goes into that, all the work and the effort and the prayer and the time, and yet... It's a joy. It's absolutely a joy to do that. And your food tastes so much better after you have loved and served someone else. It, it's hard to explain, but it just, it's just the way it is. And I, it's one of my favorite things we do every year, the Thanksgiving Day Feast. 
Thank you a million times over, church family, for everything. It's really one of those things. And by the way, the thanks are coming. They're pouring in. Um, I think one of my favorites was a, a voicemail that was left where it was a widow lady who said, I want to thank Gospelite again. And she didn't say how many years, but she said again. She said, I lost my husband several years ago, and it's been my tradition every year to call Gospelite and to get my Thanksgiving meal delivered to me as I eat Thanksgiving alone. But she says, you know, but, but she, she wanted us to know that it's not alone when it's because it's from us, you know. Uh, isn't that sweet? That was a message on, on the voicemail, on the prayer line, actually. And then we, uh, we get letters in all the time just thanking us uh, for our generosity. We had a check given that day from somebody who showed up to make a delivery. And they were so taken back by what was being done. They said, and they gave us a nice size check to give to the church. They said, here, we just want to be a part of this thing, you know. I'm like, yeah, amen. That's, that's always good, right? And uh, so it was just cool, you know. I mean, so many different ways that we experienced the, the, the goodness of God on that day. And then to eat Thanksgiving after that with family and friends was just awesome. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Baptism Sunday is next week. If you are in a place where you're ready to follow Christ and believers' baptism, we are ready to baptize next Sunday along with several others that have made that commitment to Christ. It's going to be exciting next Sunday morning as we start the service off at this hour with baptisms. And then finally, I want to remind everybody, everybody on live stream to participate in the service as well. You can give to the Lottie Moon offering. You can do some of the different things that are being offered. Thank you for listening so much and for being with us on live stream this morning. Well, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2 as we start a new Advent series mess, a sermon. I'm looking forward to these next four weeks. We're going to be uh, for four consecutive weeks leading up until Christmas the series entitled Jesus, God's Greatest Gift. And I'm super thrilled about where the Lord is leading us. We are going to experience together some amazing things as we come together each Sunday to worship and to rejoice at the God who became man in that little cradle in the dirt. And it's an amazing thing. It really is. We are going to experience, I believe, some, some unequaled things. I mean, nothing can truly... Uh, change us like Emmanuel, God with us. And at the end of the service, we're going to sing about that. The title of this sermon is Jesus, God's great, or the series rather is Jesus, God's greatest gift. What we're going to do is study some of the guests, some of the guests that were in the nativity scene or the Christmas story. They came to that place and they experienced that very first Christmas. These are some of the very first encounters that human beings ever had with God who became man. He lived, he died, and he rose again. And you know, as we study these men and women in the Bible, it's really not that there is something super special or significant about any of these people. They're really just common, ordinary, regular people. Their significance is not in who they were, but their significance is in how we know them because of their proximity to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's much like us. Think about it. Think about it for, with me for just a minute. There's really nothing significant about us apart from Jesus Christ. There's nothing special about us. Here we are today, just ordinary people, except as we align ourselves with Jesus Christ, the Lord, and the building of His kingdom. And so there's some things we want to learn. And I've set a goal for the next four weeks. And if you would just sort of join me in this goal that we're going to put on the screen right now. The goal of the next four weeks 
is in studying the lives of these who were close to Jesus when he came. That we would experience what they experienced and find the joy that they found in Emmanuel, God with us. And so that's our goal. And we're going to get there as we journey through this series. And in four weeks, prayerfully, all of us can say, wow, their experiences now are my experiences. And we can learn some things from them. And that's one of the things about looking back in Scripture is we can learn from the experiences that men and women in the Bible have, have taught us through Scripture that we might potentially not make mistakes that we would have made had we not learned from them. So let's learn together today. Let's begin with really understanding the text. And then we're going to give some application. So first the text, and then how it can make a difference in our lives. Are you ready? Luke 2, verse 25 on the screen. Let's start there and kind of walk our way through this together. We'll come to the notes in about 15 minutes. So hang with me as we walk through the text together and join me. And there was a man in Jerusalem. His name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Let's start with that word Jerusalem, shall we? I got the chance to visit Jerusalem. Recently, our, it's been in the news a lot as the, the United States moved its embassy to uh, Jerusalem and recognized that as the capital of Israel. And Jerusalem, of course, is the city of God in Scripture. And oftentimes we think of you hear the, the city New York described as the Big Apple, right? Well, I can assure you in Scripture, Jerusalem would be the Big Apple. It was the apple of God's eyes. And the followers of Christ are headed for Jerusalem. In fact, Scripture says in the book of Revelation that it tells us that there will be a new Jerusalem that's coming down from heaven and we are going to live there for all eternity. So this man was coming from Jerusalem. His name was Simeon, Simeon, this is who we're going to be looking at today. The life we're going to be looking at today is this life, this regular, ordinary man by the name of Simeon. The Bible tells us a couple of things about his life, and they're worthy of noting. Number one, it says that he was righteous. In other words, his life matched what he professed. He wasn't just talk, 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 but he was walk, walk, walk. In other words, he didn't just talk about Jesus. He lived out his, the life of Christ. He was someone who was righteous. And, and so that deals with action. He, he did something with, in, in his life for Christ. And then the Bible says he was a devout man, which deals with attitude. The condition of his heart was a heart of worshiping God. And he lived in that attitude. He was always thinking about the Lord. And so as we observe this man, Simeon, we notice those two things about him that were mentioned. He was righteous. He was devout. But something else, it says that he was waiting. He was waiting. And that's going to be some of the theme of what we talk about this morning. He was waiting. He was given a promise. Probably at a very early age, he was given this promise by the Holy Spirit. And he waited a very long time. And then the Bible says what he was waiting for. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Or the comfort of Israel. You see, there was a remnant of Jews that were looking for the Messiah to come and to bring deliverance. And Simeon was one of those people that was waiting. He believed that, that Christ would come, the Messiah would come and was coming. In fact, in verse 26, as we 
move on through the text, it says that it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. Get this. Here was the promise. The Holy Spirit had revealed it to him that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Kind of an interesting way of saying it. We normally wouldn't say, refer to Christ that way, the Lord's Christ. But in the passage here, it speaks of the Lord, Yahweh, God the Father. The Lord's Christ is the person who is going to bring the consolation of Israel. And God had revealed to Simeon that he would not die. He would not die until he saw this deliverer. All right, let's move on in the text. All right, here we go. Look at verse 27. He was waiting and waiting and waiting a long time. And he came in the spirit on this particular day, like he had come every other day for years and years and years. He'd wake up, the alarm would go off. I'm sure he was tempted to press the snooze button every morning. I'm sure there were mornings when he thought, you know what, I don't think I'm going to go up to the temple today. But every morning he overcame that doubt, that pressure to stay in the bed. And he'd move his way out of bed and make his way to the temple. Wait for the consolation of Israel for the Messiah. Is this going to be the day that the promise is revealed to me? And day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade. But then, he came in the spirit, into the temple. And when the parents, Mary and Joseph, brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. Interesting, just for a moment, brought the child Jesus according to the custom of the law. What's that all about? Well, those who were following the Old Testament, every firstborn Hebrew child was to be brought up to the temple to be dedicated Much like what we would do here uh, in what's called a a baby dedication service. Where a parent at some point brings their child to the church. And we have a dedication. We dedicate that child to the Lord. He's kind of on loan to the parents from the Lord. Because children belong to who? They belong to God. They are His. All children are God's. And so uh, we we bring our children to, to dedicate them to God. To commit to raise them according to the scriptures. And so it's a symbolic thing. And here as a symbolic thing they would bring their children to the temple to be dedicated. Also every mother had to go through a purification ceremony after they gave birth to a child. For the male child, that would have been 33 days after the birth. For a female child, that would have been 66 days after the birth. And the parents were to sacrifice a lamb. But it's interesting to note in this particular passage, prior to our text, and we'll look at it on the screen in Luke chapter 2 and verse number 22. It kind of makes sense. Everything I've just said. Now look at this passage. And when the first time, or rather, and when the time came for the purification according to the law of Moses... They brought him up to Jerusalem to present him, Jesus, to the Lord, the baby. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And they came to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And so because Mary and Joseph were not wealthy people, they were very poor. Now, they didn't have money to sacrifice a lamb, but they were able to sacrifice a pair of turtle doves or maybe two young pigeons. Back to the text here. Simeon, 
In verse 28, that's who he is. He, Simeon, takes this baby up into his arms. This is the day. The day the promise would be revealed. He had been waiting for decades. All these years. And here he meets Mary and Joseph. He, he takes this baby up in his arms. Can you imagine how, how odd this must have been or would be for you? I mean, if you're in Walmart and you're just kind of going down aisle 7... And you're getting your favorite cereal, which of course is Lucky Charms, like, you know, everybody. And, uh, or something with marshmallows. And you get your cereal, and all of a sudden, a total stranger walks up to you and says, Can I hold your baby? That's awkward. Some would say that's creepy, you know. <laughs> now, if you did it at church, you might be okay. You, you might be like, yeah, please, hold the baby. I'm, I'm, I, you, know, you know that person, you're like relieved. Yes, a little break, you know. But can you imagine this moment? But back in that, the culture was different in that they respected the elderly. And this man, no doubt they saw something and everything about this child was different. By now, Mary and Joseph were experiencing so many things that were indicating this child is anointed of the Lord. And because they were trusting and very respectful respectful of the elderly, they they, they put, uh, Simeon took him up in his arms and, and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are... Letting your servant depart in peace. Some translations use the word releasing. You're releasing your servant to depart in peace. In other words, this must, I, I believe Simeon was probably very old. At least that's my, my summation. And this was probably the, the last thing to do on his to-do list. Was to see that this promise would be revealed. Because he could not see death until the promise was revealed, right? We know that in scripture. And so now he takes this baby. He says, oh God, I am ready to go. Thank you. Here's the promise that's been revealed. The consolation of Israel. The Messiah has come. And now I can notice it says, depart in peace according to your word. I want us to stop for just a minute. Every time you see that phrase in your Bible, which you will see it often now that I'm mentioning it, if you'll pay attention, whenever it says, according to your word, maybe take a moment and write out in the margin, God always does what he says he will do. Every time. According to your word. I love that. And then in verse 2, in uh, chapter 2 and verse 30, For my eyes have seen your salvation. My eyes have seen your salvation. Jesus, who has come to save people from their sins. The first time I heard that word saved was when my mother, who was led to Christ in a grocery store parking lot, Two men, rather one man witnessed to my mother and she bowed her head to make a beautiful story short. She bowed her head, trusted Christ as her savior. She comes home to my brother and I, who oftentimes did homework, waiting for mom to get home from St. Joseph's Hospital here in Hot Springs, Arkansas. We had moved from New Orleans, Louisiana, and mom uh, got home and she looked at us sitting at the table. Actually, I apologize. I told that wrong. We weren't in Hot Springs, Arkansas. We were in New Orleans at the time, doing homework. Mom worked late, oftentimes at a hospital, different hospital, Hotel Du Hospital in New Orleans. And she would come home and we'd be, be doing homework. And she said, first words out of her mouth, she comes in like a crazy woman. And she says, boys, I got saved. Well, saved from what? I mean, we, we thought 
we'd never heard. I mean, this was, this is kind of odd. Was it saved from a car accident? Was she being saved from some sort of a encounter with a criminal? What, what does she mean? I'm saved. And so we looked at mom and asked, saved from what? And she said, I'm from hell, from my sin, I, I'm saved. I, I, Jesus is my savior. To be honest, we, we thought mom was, was crazy and, 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 and had lost it for a moment there. We were Catholics. We were religious. We, we, what are you talking about, mother? But now I understand, saved from what? Saved from the just penalty of our sins, which is upon every human born into this world. He is the sa- Savior. He is the salvation of those who will put their trust in Him. Amen. And then in Luke chapter 2 and verse number 31, he says, he continues by saying that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. Ever since the message that Pastor Scott preached a couple of months ago about the fact that Jesus did not come just for the Jews, he came for all peoples. Every time I see that in Scripture, I'm reminded of that message that Jesus is not just for the Jewish peoples, but he is for all peoples. That's why he goes on to say in verse 32 that he is a light, a light. And I have written outside the margin of my Bible, Jesus Christ, because he is the light. He is a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for the glory to the people Israel. All of the Jews and all of the Gentiles can have their eyes opened to the light. The light of Jesus Christ. He is the light of the world. And then we move on, of course, to Luke chapter 2, verse 33. His father and his mother marveled. Maybe your translation says they were amazed what they said about him in fact isn't it amazing how i said that that's that's funny i just said that isn't it amazing and the scripture says they were amazed because isn't it amazing that every time you have an encounter with jesus christ he blows you away it's the truth when you have an encounter with christ no wonder my mother came into the house i'm saved she never came into the house like that that's, 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 that's not normal. But when you encounter Jesus Christ, it's not normal. It is amazing. It is phenomenal. When you experience Christ, when he comes into your life, when he fills you with his spirit, you are amazed because always anyone and everyone who comes in contact with Jesus Christ, it's all through the Bible. Matthew 9, chapter 33, the demon is cast out and the mute man spoke and the crowds, what? They marveled. Whoa, this is amazing. Matthew 15, 31, so that the crowd wondered. Wow, they were amazed at all that was happening. The mute were speaking, the crippled were healthy, the lame were walking, the blind were seeing. This is out of control. Wow, look at this man. He's amazing. And then the disciples are freaking out, right, on the water. Jesus is in the boat. He says, peace be still. And the men marveled. And they said, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Church, when you encounter Jesus Christ, you're amazed by him every time. Can I say this, that I encountered Jesus Christ. I can only speak for myself, but I had an encounter with Jesus Christ during the worship service. I did. I think I do almost every week. I don't know what it is about this worship team. 
and about this building now. But I tell you, church, could I just say it's more than a feeling. It's, it's real. It's authentic. It's something about the moment. I, I feel like I'm just, it's just me and Jesus. It's just me and Jesus. And sometimes I have to stop singing so I can hear them because I think I'm singing so loud. I, I'm just experiencing Christ. And it's amazing to think that he is my king of kings. He is my Lord of lords. Yes, I will lift you higher. Amen. And that's why, one of the reasons why I love coming to gospel light. I get to encounter Christ. And then in Luke chapter 2 and verse 34, and Simeon blessed them. Now that's interesting because Simeon was a blessing machine. I mean, he was just blessing everybody. In fact, if you look at the text, if you were paying attention in verse 28, he blesses God. In verse 29 through verse 31, he blesses Jesus. And now in verse number 34, he's blessing Mary and Joseph. He's just blessing everybody. He's so fired up. He says, bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. You ever heard somebody like that? Bless your heart. Everybody's always about a blessing, you know. And uh, here's Simeon. He blessed them. And he says to Mary, his mother, behold. And all of a sudden, things begin to change. It's almost as if Simeon... Though still marveling at Christ, though still amazed at Christ, it's almost as if he begins to realize just just who this child is. And so he says the word, behold. It's almost as if he's leaning into the conversation and he whispers to Mary and he says, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many the fall those who will reject Christ many will reject him and spend an eternity in hell the rising the resurrection many will accept Christ many will embrace Christ and rise with him the question is which are you which are you What will you do with Jesus Christ this morning? Has there been a time in your life when you've embraced Christ as your personal Savior so that one day you may rise with Him? Spend an eternity with Him in a place that He's preparing for you? Or will you reject Him and and experience the fall and an eternity separated from God? Do you know Jesus Christ? And then notice it goes on to say that he's for a sign that is opposed. I mean, think about it, church. Is there anyone in human history that's been opposed more than Jesus Christ? Anyone? I mean, think about the culture we're living in today. The opposition to Jesus is, is rising. The opposition to Allah is not rising. Why? Because that's a religion that Satan invented, and Satan would never oppose himself. The opposition to... Buddhism is not rising, but the opposition to Christianity is rising all over the world, even in our own state and nation. Why? Because here, Simeon, 2,000 years ago, recognized that this child would be appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel for a sign that is opposed. The critical issue this morning and every morning is where are you in regards to Jesus Christ? For the Bible says in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 12 that whoever has the Son has life and whoever does not have the Son does not have life. So the question is not do you know about Jesus? The question is do you know Jesus? Do you know him? Is he your personal 
Savior. Simeon goes on to say in Luke 2.35 as he speaks to Mary that a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Mary, your own soul will experience the piercing of the sword in your heart because the thoughts from many hearts are going to be revealed. In fact, nothing reveals the true heart condition of a person more than when you ask them this question. What do you believe about Jesus Christ? What do you believe about him? Who is he to you? What does he mean to you? This Christmas season, what a great question to ask people. What do you believe about Jesus? Scott, a moment ago, challenged us really in his testimony as he said he would ask people in Thailand, what do you believe about Jesus? Do you know Jesus? What do you know about him? Oh, yeah, Christmas. Oh, he's the American God. You know, you might be surprised if you ask somebody in Hot Springs that question this week. What do you believe about Jesus? You might be shocked you might get a Thailand answer. I'm serious. It's getting that way even in our own country. People don't know Christ. Church, I am challenging our staff to spend more time talking to people about Jesus. I I love it. I tell you, yesterday I spent four hours with one person talking about Jesus. at San Francisco Bread Company. He didn't get saved in that meeting, but I guarantee you this. There is, the Holy Spirit is working on him, and I am so excited about that. I can just tell he was marveling at the things that God was doing in my own life, in our family's life. Let's now go to the text, or rather go from the text and now extract the principles. Are you ready? That was the text. You haven't taken many notes. Are you ready to write fast? We're going to go pretty fast. Okay, here we go. What can we learn as followers of Jesus Christ from the life of Simeon? Well, first of all, let's just get the theme out of the way real quick. The theme, or rather the, if you will, the message of the life of Simeon is waiting on God. That's the theme. That's the message of the life of Simeon. You're going to see it all throughout the text. Waiting on God. Here is a guy who had a PhD in waiting. And we want to learn from this. We want to learn what what principles can we learn about waiting from the life of Simeon. And you know, the longer that I live, I seem to realize that life doesn't have a lot of green lights. It just doesn't. In fact, most of the time in life, it's a red light. Every now and then, it's a yellow light. Most of the time, it's not. It's just wait. It's wait some more. It's keep on waiting. God says most of the time to me, probably God says most of the time to you, let's wait. Now, oftentimes people say to me, well, what would you do about this if you were God? You don't want to know what I would do if I were God. It's not what God would do, trust me. (laughs) It's not even close. (laughs) What I would want to do is much different than God because I, I'd want things right now. Why wait? I mean, why wait? If you ask for it, get it right now. You shouldn't have to wait, right? We shouldn't have to wait. That's the way we feel about things. But I can assure you that if we'll wait, it'll be much better because God's always got something better in his, in his plan than we have in our plan. But it seems as if most of the time God works in the waiting. We sang a moment ago. You know, in that song, Yes, I Will, that in the waiting, God is faithful. God seems to use the process of waiting and trusting to make us the kind of person he wants us to be. Howard Hendricks said this. He was a former 
uh, he, he's, he passed away several years ago, but he was a former theolo- theologian at the, and professor at the uh, Dallas Theological Seminary. He was also, interestingly enough, a chaplain for the Dallas Cowboys, for you Cowboy fans, back when Tom Landry was the coach. And here's what he said. You're ready. It's a great statement about waiting. Waiting is the ability to put my motor in neutral when I feel like stripping the gears. Isn't that a great definition of waiting? Putting my motor in neutral when I feel like stripping the gears. Because waiting is not an easy thing. But waiting is also not passivity. Oftentimes someone comes to me and says, Pastor, pray for me. I I need a job. And of course my first response is, oh, that's great. Listen, you know, have have you done your resume yet? No, no, I'm just kind of waiting on God. Well, have you applied anywhere yet? No, I haven't applied anywhere. I'm just kind of waiting on God. That's not waiting. (laughs) Waiting on God is I've done everything I know to do, but it's not enough. And now I'm waiting on God to do for me what I cannot do for myself. That's waiting. Do everything you can do. It's not passivity. It's not just waiting and hanging out. And I'm just waiting on God. No. It's coming to a place where you realize I can't do this. I've I've tried everything I can try. Now I'm just going to wait on God. So many times I have found that to be true when it comes to health, finances, dating, so many things that we want to rush and we want to solve. God says, wait, just some benefits to waiting on God. According to Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 1, it says that he hears our prayers. I waited patiently for the Lord. I prayed about this and days went by and weeks went by and and months went by. In fact, I've been praying about this for decades, but I waited patiently for the Lord and you're not going to believe this. He inclined to me. He heard my cry. As I waited on him, he answered my prayer because he always keeps his promises. According to Isaiah 64, 4, he acts on our behalf. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. And you know what? When you wait on God and you know he's working on your behalf, I can assure you... He is going to blow you away. God is so fired up about waiting that people that do wait, he acts on their behalf. That to me is just an incredible passage of Scripture. That, my friends, is a promise to meditate on. God actually acts on my behalf? He works for me when I wait for him? Yes. That's the beauty of this thing. It's getting God involved. This is a promise. Number three. According to Psalm 25 and verse 3, he keeps us from shame. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. According to Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31, the Bible says when we we wait, he gives us strength. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. And according to Psalm 37 and verse 34, if we wait, he will exalt us. Wait for the Lord and keep his way and he will exalts you to inherit the land and you will look on the wicked when they're cut off wow these are incredible promises to people who determine 
that, that waiting is better than my way, than doing it my way, than hurrying it up, than compromising. So, let me give you these four principles real quickly. Number one, and this is a good one. This is the foundation of all the other principles. Are you ready, church? God keeps his promises. Oftentimes, I quote this little poem. Just keep on praying till the light breaks through. The Lord will answer. He'll answer you. God keeps his promise. His words are true. Just keep on praying till the light breaks through. Just keep on praying. Keep on trusting. Keep on believing. God keeps his promises. Remember what I told you earlier according to, to thy word. God does the things that God says he will do. So back to Simeon. How old do you think he was? Just, just by chance, how old do you think he was when, when he got the promise from the Holy Spirit? How old do you think he was? I, was he 20? Was he 30? I, I'm going to say he was, I'm just going to say for sake of illustration, but in my mind, I'm thinking maybe 40. He was kind of mature. He was old enough to receive the promise and mature enough to go to the temple every single day. I don't, I don't know. I'm just going to say 40 for sake of example, 40 years old when he actually got the promise. And I believe he was waiting for a very long time, probably decades, though I don't know for sure, but probably a very long time, based on just the, you know, the, the, the mood of the, of the passage and the DNA of the whole story. How old do you think he was when he, when he received the promise? Think he was 80? 90? Maybe 100 or 101? And I'm sure along the way he had some doubt. I'm sure along the way he thought, ah, oh, man, I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe I should just give up on this and just, you know, die and go to heaven and he could tell me, you know, all about it. I'm sure along the way he had some family critics. You ever had a family critic? You know, you're just waiting on God. Maybe you've shared something that God kind of revealed to you and, and you share it with them and they say, you're crazy. Listen, you know what? You probably ate some bad pizza. You need to get some rest. I mean, that's ridiculous. You need to do this or that or the other. And they give you all their advice. And really, you, you know, you're just waiting on God at this point. I'm sure he had many critics along the way, but he just kept on waiting. And this might be a good time for me to give you five painful things that God's children have to wait through. And isn't it painful to wait? It's hard, isn't it? It is. It is hard. I'm not saying this is a cakewalk. This is not easy. It's tough to wait. Number one, one word for these five things. Just one word, reconciliation. Or rather, justice, I'm sorry. Reconciliation is number two. I apologize. God keeps his promise. There you go. I'm confusing you up there. I apologize. Justice. You know, we live in a world of a lot of injustice. Amen? Isn't that right? I mean, it seems like today more than any other day we are seeing things take place that can really cause you and I to get anxious and angry and sometimes we can be tempted to take things into our own hands and forget that God says listen every wrong is going to be made right we must wait for God a lot of injustice in this world, but God has kept a perfect record of every injustice in the world. And God will balance the books of justice one day. We can believe that. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. He'll take care of things. Let's just be faithful. Let's just do the right thing. Let's just continue to pray for those who are 
struggling and who need Christ. Let's let God take care of this matter of justice. And then reconciliation. You know, we try so hard to make things right with someone, don't we? I mean, we should. In fact, Scripture tells us how to do it, to go to the person, to ask them to forgive us. If there's any ought, we go to that person. We try to settle things. Maybe it's a spouse or an ex-spouse or a child or or, or a friend or someone who we have had a broken relationship with them. And we're trying to kind of make things right, at least be friends, right? I mean, do the Christian thing. And so we attempt to do that, and it's still not reconciled. What do we do? We just wait. We just wait. It's tough, isn't it? And then marriage. Marriage is a tough thing. I think of a lot of young adults in our church right now who I pray for often. We should pray for our young adults often. I get the privilege. I'm really looking forward to Wednesday night and being with Ignite on the second and getting to see that the faces of a lot of young adults who are still waiting. Waiting for that person who they're going to marry. Tempted often to compromise and, and settle because it's tough to wait to get ahead of the game, to try to make decisions on your own, to not seek counsel, all the things that we know we probably should do, but we just want to hurry things. We ought to pray for these young adults that are waiting. You want to find that person that God is choosing for you, and that's not easy to wait for. But I encourage you, don't compromise. God's got a best and a highest for you. And then conception. That's a tough one, isn't it? In 28 years of pastoring, how many people have we prayed and and anointed with oil as they wait for that baby? That first one. It's tough. It's one of the hardest things even to deal with as you try to love someone through that and pray for someone through that and try not to be that person who is always giving them the latest, greatest scientific evidence that if you'll do this, you'll get pregnant. It might be best for just us to just make, put them on our prayer list every day. And just pray. Pray for God's timing to be perfect and pray for that child to be gifted at some point or maybe adoption. But pray that God would give them a waiting attitude. It's tough, isn't it? These are hard things, aren't they? What about healing? Healing's a tough one. Man, in my own life, in my own with my own wife, my little daughter, other situations that we have faced. And some of you are facing some results right now that have maybe just came through and, 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 and there's cancer or there is high blood pressure or there is something that's irregular on the heart test and you're, you, you've got to go in for more tests. And, and with all this COVID stuff, it's difficult. You know, you can't take somebody with you or whatever. Or the, the, the appointments are getting delayed. I mean, there's so many situations. But I want to speak some faith into your life that this may be a time where God wants you just to wait and trust Him. The healing is coming. I love the fact that I'm a believer today and I know that ultimately I, when I'm sick, I'll either be healed there, here, or when I get to heaven. Amen. It's a win-win for me. It's a win-win. But the waiting is tough. God is faithful. God keeps his promises. That's why we wait. That's why we wait.
Number two, the second principle here is this, that, and it's all throughout this passage, you'll see it with me in just a moment, but number two, the Holy Spirit, the second principle we learn in this story is that the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon. And it's evident throughout the text. Did you notice it too? Did you notice it? Look, if you would, on the screen at verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. He was a righteous man. He was a devout man. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. The very next verse says that it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. Again, the next verse. And he came in the Spirit. Wow. Here is a man who was waiting. But he wasn't waiting in his own strength. He was waiting in the Spirit's strength. Because you can't do this alone. There is no waiting by yourself. Trust me, it's like that old, what is that commercial? Don't leave home without it, right? Whatever that American Express commercial. The one, we probably should tear up most of our credit cards. But at the end of the day, it's a pretty good example about the Holy Spirit. Don't leave home without Him. Don't do this without Him. Don't wait without Him you got to have the Holy Spirit. It is impossible to wait in your own strength. You are sure to compromise. You are sure to come up with your own plan. But when the Holy Spirit of God is upon you and you realize you can't do this alone, Simeon never would have made it and neither will you without the Holy Spirit. What a great subject it is to speak about Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8 verse 14 tells us this, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Can I say this to all of you today who are born again Christians, you've received Christ as your Savior, you have been baptized in the Holy Ghost. It's a one-time experience that all of us have. When we get saved, we get the Holy Spirit. It's amazing. It's a wonderful thing. It's not something that comes and goes. It's a, it's a, it's a forever, for eternity, it is A gift from from heaven. It's the Holy Spirit of God. If you're in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. But here's the question. Listen, are you controlled by the Holy Spirit? It's different. There's one baptism. There's many fillings of the Holy Spirit. And so each of us needs to understand that we need to be filled with the Spirit prayerfully every day. That's something that's become a very huge part of my life is understanding that I can't do today without the Holy Spirit. I cannot do it. I can't make the right decisions. I can't be a good husband to Carol Ann. I can't be a good dad to my kids. I can't preach. And that's why right before this service, I got on my face before God and asked him to forgive me of all my sins, known sins. I, I cried out to God for everything I could think of that, 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 I, just that would come, that come to my mind. Sometimes I write things down just to remember things that I want to confess to Christ and I want to be clean because I want the power of the Holy Spirit. So often we, we wonder, well, I just don't know if, I, if I'm filled with the Spirit. Well, there's a couple of things that may be preventing the filling of the Holy Spirit in your life. And they're in Scripture. The first one's found in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. It says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by doing something that you know he's told you not to do. That word grieve is another word. That means sad. You make the Holy Spirit sad when you do what he has said not to do. We grieve him. We can't be filled with the Spirit if we're doing things that God says don't do that. But then there's something else that happens. It's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 5 verse 19. It says that do not quench the Spirit. Grieving the Spirit is when we do something that God says don't do. Quenching the Spirit is when we don't do something that God says do. 
We quench the Spirit. God says, I want you to do this. The Holy Spirit is very clear when he says, I want you to talk to that person. And we say, no, I'm not going to do that. We quench the Spirit. And so what we need to do is we need to confess our sin and pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's a good thing. To go before God and say, God, forgive me. Forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of those things that I did that I should not have done. Forgive me of those things that I did not do that I should have done. God, help me today to walk the path that you would walk if you were here in my shoes. God, help me to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit. I can't do this without you, God. I can't face today without you. I can't be a dad, a pastor. I can't be a friend. I can't be a preacher without you. My words are void without the presence of the Holy Spirit. If all you hear is my voice, nothing will change. But if you hear the Holy Spirit this this morning, everything will change. And so we pray for the filling of the Spirit. So number two, notice here that, first of all, we see that God keeps his promises. The Holy Spirit was upon him. Number three, it says... The third principle is that you will be amazed when you wait. Don't we learn that in the text? You will be amazed. I mean, wasn't it obvious to you? It was to me that Simeon was blown away. Because when we wait on God, we find out that what God comes up with is way better than what we could have come up with ourselves. (laughs) Way better. Way, way, way better. And so that's why if you wait, you know, in the waiting, it's like, this is just no fun. I mean, I just don't, do you really think God's going to keep, do you really think, am I really going to see the, the consolation of Israel? Am I really, just wait, because when it happens, it's going to be better than anything you could have ever imagined. I like the symbol of the cup in scripture. It's a beautiful picture of how God is so willing to give to us more than we could ever imagine. My favorite example is Luke chapter 6 and verse 38. It's as if we have this cup and and we present our cup to God, you know. Fill my cup, Lord, right? That's that old song. I lift it up, Lord. Come quench the, the thirsting of my soul. And God says, oh, you want me to fill your cup? And so God says, here's how I work. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together until it runs over. So think about it. You get your cup filled by God and then, he sa- and then you walk away and think, thank you, Lord. He said, no, 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 come back. He says, press it down. Shake it together. Now press it down again and shake it again. Press it and shake it. Press it, shake it. Press it, shake it. Until it's running over. <laughs> when God fills your cup, it is good measure. Press down. Shake it together. Running over. <laughs> it's, in other words, it's more than you could ever imagine. And then I love Psalm 23 and verse 5. But the Bible tells us that he prepares the table before us in the presence of our enemies. He anoints our head with oil and our cup overflows. <laughs> this is how God works. This is how God works. His ways are so much higher than our ways. He does such phenomenal things. When we wait, God's thing is so superior than anything we could have done ourselves. It's so superior, like S-O-O-O-O-O-O-O-O-O-O, like so superior. Like cup overflows, superior. Like press down, shaking together, running over, superior. Are you with me? I mean, like it's crazy, like, like I'm telling you. The, the, the longer I, the, the longer I am 
married to my wife, Carol Ann, the, the more I understand, wow, God, man, you really blessed me with an amazing wife. This is crazy. The more I think about our church, God, you've done so many wonderful things. And it's not because of me, because I've messed this thing up so many times. Do you know, when I look back at my 28 years, for sure, I did it this week to once again confess to you in a transparent way that when this church has struggled the most, it's been when this pastor screwed up because he decided he wants it now. I did. There's so many things I sped up, so many things I did. It's amazing. I almost look at it as this pastor who had had a good heart, good intentions, but I manipulated things to get it done when I wanted to get it done. And the whole time God was saying, dude, you're not going to believe if you would just hang in there. You wouldn't have to go through all this pain and suffering and debt and interest and things. You just wait. Hang on, bub. It's going to be better than you could ever imagine. I just couldn't hear him sometimes. Sometimes I just wouldn't listen. It probably had unconfessed sin in my life, had things that, like I probably quenched the spirit. You say, Pastor, are you being transparent? It's the only way to get across to people is to be real. This is not a perfect 28 years. This is a 28 years of some impatience and some not waiting, but I'll take it now that I'm 55 years old. I feel like Simeon. I, I'm, not, I, I'm not 100, but I'm getting up there, you know. And I, as I get older, it's like, Lord, this is amazing. Maybe that's why I was so blown away in the cafeteria on Thursday as I looked at 1,500 people being fed and this machine of a Thanksgiving Day feast working and people literally preparing meals for two and a half hours straight, nonstop. You can ask anybody in that kitchen. It was amazing. And I'm standing there thinking, God, this is what waiting is all about. Having a church, not a perfect church, but a church that is growing and experiencing a lot of unity and love and even financial uh, blessing and missions and we're reaching goals and we're seeing things in these days we've never saw before because we're not getting anxious, impatient. We're just saying, just wait. You know, sometimes you got to look back on things and somehow try to find a way to say, thank you, Lord. You know, for, for us, for believers, COVID may have been just a way to slow down and start waiting on God. I don't like it. You don't like it. We all don't like it. We all know it's here. So we might as well start recognizing what God taught us in it. And one of the things I think God taught me was just slow down. Wait. I've got this. And he has and he does. It's an amazing. Wait on God. You'll be amazed. Number four, and I'm done. It's never too late to wait. God came through for Simeon at the finish line. It's over. Simeon's 101 years old. God came through. You know, I'm not sure why God has people wait. I have no clue. But I know this, that God is always faithful. He's always faithful. You know, I could see Simeon, I mean, probably walking a lot slower than he did in his 40s. It's getting harder and harder to walk up that hill to the temple because it's kind of up a hill. And he's walking up that hill, and he's probably got a little arthritis, might even have a cane, who knows. And he's like, oh, Lord, here I go again. I sure hope today's the day. But if not, I'll be right back here tomorrow, God, because I know you made a promise, 
He told me I wouldn't die until I saw the consolation of Israel. Can you imagine what that must have been like? After all those years, to hold that baby in his arms, Emmanuel, God with us. That, that Jesus is with us this morning. He's here. And I can assure you in a world filled with sin and sickness and sadness and injustice, it's tough to wait. But let's remember that it's in the waiting that we find the strength to just keep on going and doing what God has called us to do because it's never too late to wait. Can you say that with me? together. Are you ready? It's never too late to wait. Would you say it one more time? It's never too late to wait. I don't know what you're waiting for. I don't know what it is. I'm not sure exactly what it is in your life, but the Holy Spirit of God right now is saying, this is where I want you to focus on right now. I want you to focus on this area that you're becoming impatient with me in. Trust me. I've got this. Just wait rest and trust me I'm with you and I'll always be with you I'll never leave you I'll never forsake you and what I've got is going to blow you away it's going to be amazing let's bow our heads shall we with our heads bowed and eyes closed if you're here today you've never ever ever come to know Christ as your salvation I pray this morning would be the morning that you would experience Christ in a way that would amaze you change you. And I'm asking God to take this sermon series and may we all experience in a new and in a fresh way this Emmanuel. This God who is with us right now. Father, Lord, I pray that you would take these next few moments as as we worship, as we meditate on these scriptures and on these words that we're going to sing to you, that God you would bring us to a place of waiting. God, it may need to be that we repent of some sin in our lives. And maybe, God, that we need to ask you to help us to do what you've called us to do. We've been resisting. God, may we give in, Lord, and may we just let go and let God take care of us. Father, I pray that you'd forgive me for those moments in my life where I got, I got ahead. I raced ahead of your will. God, thank you for your discipline. Thank you for your chastisement. Thank you, God, for loving me enough to correct me and give me another chance to wait. I trust you. God, I love you, and I thank you so much for all the things you're doing in our lives. You're a wonderful Savior. We love you and praise you and worship you and pray now that your Holy Spirit would move and work in this place right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand together?